Peter says in verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is a forgetter. It's interesting, Peter lists these qualities again, and then he says, and if these qualities aren't in your life, you need to look and see how you've forgotten. You've forgotten something. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former way of sin. And I'm going to remind you. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And I think it is right, as long as as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. There is something Peter finds necessary in repetition. I was able to watch, many of you know I wasn't here last week, visiting my brother in Georgia, and I watched uh, Ian's teaching. Brother, thanks for being faithful and blessing the church. And one of the things he said in there was, Rob says a lot, it's not my truth to bend. I do say that a lot. And you will hear it again. It is not our truth to bend. A few weeks ago, I looked over at my wife, Mary. She's very encouraging, loving, supportive. But she was giving me the nod. I'm not really good with sign language, so later I asked her, what's the nod? And she said, you were repeating yourself. And I said, that's intentional. Oftentimes when I'm studying, I'll be going through something eight, nine, ten times, and then I'm like, I get it. I can't expect you to get it in one brief sentence. It has to rest on us sometimes. Maybe I'm a little thicker, so I'm up here. But it takes some time. It takes repetition. True? Repetition is good for us. And necessary. Repetition is good for us and necessary. Think about it. No one who is really great at something ever gets there without repetition. It's true. I don't care if they're really gifted at it. My brother and I were talking. He met this famous, he didn't know he was famous, this famous bass player in a music store. And then after he got done talking, he says, wow, you're really good. And then he goes over and he says, man, that guy's really good. And the guy's like, do you know who that is? My brother's like, no. And he goes, yeah, he's world famous. And he's got books out. My brother's like, oh my gosh, I feel so stupid. And then he got to talking to the guy again. He's like, I'm going back over there. And the guy says, keep doing it over and over and over and over. Nobody ever gets good at something without repetition, even if you're gifted. The greatest basketball, college basketball coach of all time, John Wooden, said there are eight laws of learning. Explanation, demonstration, imitation, repetition, 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 repetition. One of the greatest baseball players, at least hitters of all time, Reggie Jackson said, a baseball swing is a very finely tuned instrument. It is a repetition and more repetition and then a little bit more after that. This one is for you, Nate. 
Famous dog trainer Cesar Milan says, repetition creates the master. Or it's also said, confidence is anchored in two rocks, truth and repetition. Over the last several weeks, we have heard this author, if you've been with us, and he's repeating himself. True? What's he repeating? Jesus is the supreme one. He is not just a better message messenger. He is what the messages have all been about. He is the message incarnate. He is creator. He upholds the universe. He is God himself. He's been saying it over and over. He's better than the angels. He's more supreme than the angels. He is what the angels were pointing to. He's repeating himself. Ian put it this way last week. He is the supreme king. He is the supreme savior or captain. He is the supreme brother. And then he challenged us. Therefore, we are encouraged to believe him, to trust in him, and then live out of that belief and that trust. Live it. And so over and over, the author of Hebrews has been asserting that Jesus is superior to all other previous messengers. Jesus is the message of God. And therefore, we should believe and trust and live, as Ian said. Or, as we heard the week before, Ian, pay more careful attention lest you drift. It's the same thing. It's just said a different way. And so as we come to chapter 3, the author is now appealing to these repetitious truths that he's already laid down in chapters 1 and 2. So when we start into chapter 3, verse 1, he starts off with, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. The author is once again urging his readers, and by the way, that would be us, to put Jesus at the forefront of our repetitious thinking. That's what this word consider means. It doesn't just mean glance over it in thought once or twice. It's a repetitious thinking. And so the author is encouraging us by repetitious thinking and repetitious organizing of our thoughts and our actions and our lives and repetitious, and you can read into this mundane, like the daily little bitty stuff, Organize your thinking and your life around Christ. And so there's two words that immediately jump out right from the beginning of this passage, and we should um, give it some thought. And the two words that really should jump out of out at us here within the first are three words, as we read them, are therefore and brothers. Now here's another repetition. If you've been around any length of time here, we say this. Whenever you read a therefore, look to see what it's there for. Right? In other words, when we see therefore, something has preceded that is now going to be brought to a conclusion or a call to action. 
So we should be looking, oh wait, he's basing on what, what he's going to ask us to do. He's basing that on something that he's just said. And if I don't understand what it is that he's going to say, the action that I'm being called to is going to lose some of its power. And so he's saying, based on what I've said, I'm getting ready to call you to action. But then he specifies it and he says, and here's who I'm calling to action. Holy brothers or holy brothers and sisters. And so on the basis of these truths that have been laid out in chapters 1 and 2, the readers of Hebrews, the original ones, and we ourselves are being strengthened in the position of Jesus as the supreme one, and then also we're being strengthened in our position as holy brothers and sisters who have been set apart or who share in a heavenly calling. You with me? So we're asked, being asked to consider this action based on Christ's position and who He has made us to be as brothers and sisters. So last week, Ian says, Jesus calls us brothers, siblings. Then he said, he unashamedly speaks our name. He trusts us and affiliates with us as his siblings. That's worth repeating. This holy one, this set apart one, this king, this creator of the universe, the supreme one, has called us brothers and sisters, set-apart ones. So there's this therefore, and then this holy brothers. And this isn't the first time we've seen this term brothers. Again, the author is reaching back into something he has previously said, and he's going to make an appeal to action based on this. So look at chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, the end of 11, heading into 12. That is why he, Jesus, is not a call, ashamed to call them brothers, saying, now he's quoting from Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Then look at verse 217. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be make to be made like his brothers in every respect. And then even verse 13, this is a quote out of Isaiah chapter 8, Behold, I and the children that God has given me. So here's this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in this heavenly calling, in Jesus' identity and your identity, I'm calling you to a specific action. This is no small thing. The supreme king, the supreme captain, this supreme brother has called us brothers and sisters. Here's the action. Consider him. You see it? There's this little tiny word. And if you don't get the context and the throwback and the therefore and the brothers and the sisters, you're, not, you're going to read right over consider him. But this is the call to action. Consider 
Jesus. Now let's look. This again is context as we're looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's look at what this supreme brother, this captain, has done for us. Starting in verse 14. This is the gap between where Ian ended and now where we're going in chapter 3. Since therefore the children, that is us, share in his flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those, that's us, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Church, we were subject to lifelong slavery under a ruthless, godless, villainous, deranged leader. We were captured by him. And as Ian said, this founder in verse 10, or captain, came to rescue us. Verse 16, for surely it's not the angels that he helps, but the, but the offspring of Abraham, men. He didn't die for angels. He died for you. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of other people, of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Not an exact illustration, but a close one. I was remembered about a, I'm reminded of a time when I was reading this about a cousin of mine who was an adopted foster son. And as I was thinking about this idea of this captain rescuing children, this memory came to my mind. His name was Art. And Art grew up in an extremely abusive home, and he had some younger siblings. And Art felt very responsible for his younger siblings because he knew what it was like to suffer under the hand of injustice. This is this, by the way, this faithful priest who understood our load. And uh, we were camping. I, I couldn't have been seven, eight maybe. And I had these Elmer Fudd pajamas that I just loved. I don't know why Elmer, maybe, maybe it was a foretelling of our head shape or something. But my sister and I, who's six years older than me, and my cousin Alicia, who's my sister's age, um, we went up to the Coke machine, and then there was some video games, you know, like it, there were at the old campgrounds. And there was a teenage boy there, and he started making fun of me because of my pajamas. And there was other kids there, and they joined this ringleader in making fun of me. And my sister was like, hey, stop that. And then he started in on my sister and my cousin. And I remember being, just feeling tons of shame. And then Art came around the corner. And Art wasn't a big kid, but he knew what it was to be tough. And he told this kid to knock it off, and he was smaller. Art was smaller. And this kid said, what are you going to do about it? 
And then Art took him behind the Coke machine, and Art came out, and this kid did not. And nobody messed with me the rest of the camping trip. And remember, when Art would make a fist, he had this little muscle on his forearm that poked out, and he was, had his fists balled up. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be like Art. This is my rescuer. I want to be like him. Jesus is our older, mature brother. He is the captain of an army who single-handedly won a war that secures our victory. I want you to picture this with me. Let's pretend we're a group of or- orphaned siblings. It's a big family. But we're all about five, six years old. We are in a concentration camp, a prison camp. And we're in forced labor to smash rocks into little pebbles. Day in and day out. And there is a villainous leader over this concentration camp. If you have ever saw the movie Unbroken, think about the bird. This deranged, cruel, ruthless person who cares not about people. We are in tattered, dirty rags, and we always live in fear of this guy casting a glance our way and facing his wrath. We cry ourselves to sleep every night because we are living in fear constantly. I was watching a video not too long ago about a Muslim who came to Christ. It's on a video uh, website called One for Israel. And I've heard this multiple times from people of Muslim faith. I lived in constant fear that I was going to hell. Why? Because he lived under a ruthless taskmaster who he could never please. And that's us, six to eight-year-olds living under this ruthless taskmaster who we could never appease, waiting constantly to be abused. We live under a death sentence in fear, captured in lifelong bondage and slavery. We have heard of this older brother that we have been given, but people have told us that he's a fairy tale and a vain hope. But then one day, in our hopelessness, Jesus bursts through the gates of our prison camp. This ruthless, cruel leader comes out to seize him, but he realizes right away he can't win the war against Jesus, this captain, so he throws a grenade in the midst of us. If he can't destroy him, he will destroy us. And Christ himself throws himself on this grenade and takes the full explosion on our behalf. But instead of being dead, which he should be, he gets up, he removes his sword from his scabbard, and Jesus cuts off the head of this ruthless leader, and he kicks the gates of the prison camp open, and he sets us free. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. That is right. We have a brother who is a rescuer. Later, we're standing outside of the camp, newly dressed, and we're feasting. And here comes Captain... Now, I'm not being silly. Okay? This is founder means captain. Here comes Captain Jesus on a horse in a uniform. He comes and he dismounts his horse. And he comes and he kneels among a group of six to eight-year-olds. Now, now, think with me, church. This is our older brother. Our hero. And he comes and he gets off of his horse... 
And he comes to somebody who is newly freed, who was living under complete slavery, and he gets down on one knee and he comes, come here, my little brothers and sisters. Church, what's your response? Yeah, it's like this. True? We stand up and what would six to eight-year-olds be doing? Oh my gosh, right? Oh, yeah, right? We'd be joining around him, touching him. He'd be laughing and smiling. Are you with me? This is our hero, our rescuer, King Jesus. And the author of Hebrews says, in this light, therefore, holy ones who have been set apart for a heavenly kingdom, brothers and sisters, consider him. This response that we're visioning in our mind about how we respond to Jesus, that's what it means to consider him. This isn't, hmm, let me think about Jesus in relationship to Muhammad. Or No, no, no. You're missing the point. The author is setting us up by saying, brothers, he's rescued you. Look at this rescue story. Brothers and sisters, you share in this heavenly calling. This is the only time where Jesus is given the title of Jesus alone. Not Jesus the Christ or Christ Jesus, but consider Jesus Why? Because he's your older brother. Therefore, holy brothers, set apart sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. You see this repetition? Here it is. Jesus is supreme. He has made you little siblings. Consider him. Or in chapter 2 verse 1, the author said it this way. Pay much closer attention lest you drift. Or in chapter 3 verse 6, he says it this way. We're going to see this in a minute. Hold fast to him. And then we're going to see this next week in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, take care lest you fall away. You have been rescued by the captain of your souls, the killer, church, the killer of Satan. Consider him. Hold fast to him. Take care of his memory in you lest you fall away. So this considering, again, means more than casually giving it some thought. It means fixed attention and scrutiny. It carries the idea of a fastened gaze that will not let go and an awakened interest and a steady contemplation. Just like a little orphaned kid who was rescued by his hero, captain, older brother. I'm going to be just like him. And I'm going to study everything he does so that I can be like him. And so this author then goes on to explain that Jesus is supreme, not just over the angels and not just over prophets, but Jesus is supreme even over Moses. Now for us, that's like, okay. But for a Jewish believer who that's who this is written to when they heard he's greater than Moses catastrophic 
I don't even know what to like in that too. But to some degree, we could even translate a little bit to Jesus is better than the American dream. It's true. We have no, like, we have no even concept of where to put that. Like, what could be better, you know, than at least what it was? And the author is saying he's better. We talked several weeks ago about these little self-saviors that we conjure up on our own. And the author is saying, Jesus is better than your, the, the little thing that you pick, whatever that might be, you know, your, your little vice or whatever it is that you do. He's better. And so he makes this argument here. Jesus is supreme over Moses. And he says, just like the builder is supreme over a house, Jesus is the builder who is greater than Moses, who is just a part of the house. So he says this. I'm going to start from the beginning of that again, but we'll work into it. Chapter right, right around verse 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, and the builder of all things is God. This is another reference, obvious one, to Jesus' deity. Verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. He's a messenger. But Christ is faithful over God's son as a as a God's house as a son and we are his house if and you need to circle that if that's a clause there's a requirement and we are his house if indeed we hold fast and our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Here's the point of all that. Moses was a faithful servant, but he was part of the house. Jesus is a faithful son, and he built the house. Jesus is the supreme one. He is the builder. Therefore, he is God himself. And we are of his house if we consider him. So I'm going to repeat myself. You see why considering is much more than a passing thought, yeah? So here's the application and our theme statement of this passage, if you will. To be of God's house consider Jesus. We could say it a little bit longer this way. Those who hold fast to Jesus, those who put their confidence in Jesus, those who boast about Jesus are of the house of God. And so here's our application 
we ought to be encouraged to joyfully, like a rescued orphan sibling, hold fast to Jesus. And let me tell you, this is true. You cannot hold fast to Jesus without repetition. You hear me? Little grasp of faith, you will have little grasp to to pursue through trials. If you only have a little hold on Christ, when trials hit, you will let go. We're seeing it over and over. Make no mistake, we are held by Christ. We will sing that at the end of our sermon, at, at, at the end of our, uh, our teaching today, and we wrap up worship. But the author of Hebrews and Paul don't offer us these admonitions for nothing. There is a reality of us holding on to. And so we are encouraged to hold fast to Jesus. No one, we said at the beginning, masters anything without repetition. And so this is my encouragement for us. Have a routine of joyfully, regularly looking to Jesus. When I say have a routine of regularly considering Jesus, if you don't know what that means, let's figure that out. Okay? Little ones. If you're like, oh, I don't think I do that, ask your dads. Ask your mamas to help you. I need to consider Jesus regularly. How can I do that? And dads, if, if they ask you and you're like, man, I'm not even sure, I don't know. Let, let's get that figured out together because you need to know. If we haven't gotten this now in our culture, parents, if we're not taking our kids' hands and getting them to cling to Christ, uh, no hope. And I mean that. Church, if you don't know, Here's one thing I've been really, um, I've seen this in my own life, and then as I'm having more and more conversations with men, we hear this thing, these things like, lead your wife, lead your kids, lead your home. We have no clue what that looks like, zero, and we're all afraid to ask. Practically, tangibly, how do we do that? Don't be afraid to ask. Hold fast to Jesus Have a routine of looking to Him. Have a routine of regularly looking at your identity in Him. What does it mean that I'm His adopted sibling? What does it mean that I belong to Christ? What does it mean for me to live that out? Have a routine of regularly looking to Jesus, looking at your identity in Christ Jesus, considering how do I live as a result of that? And then what am I willing to sacrifice to get there? You need to have a routine of regularly looking at those things and considering them. Are you with me? This should be super practical. Have a regularly routine where you're holding fast to consider Jesus. Secondly, this goes along with it. 
put your confidence in Jesus. And two ditches we want to avoid. One, I'm not saying we should be putting our confidence in biblical knowledge alone. Okay, the other ditch would be just putting our putting our confidence in our ability to obey alone. Let me flesh that out a little bit. Probably none of us are tempted to turn back to Moses as these Hebrews were and to the law. But we can be easily tempted to do good things in sacrifice of the best things. True? In other words, sometimes we can overemphasize obedience and certainly obedience is a good thing we should be obeying but sometimes those of us who emphasize obedience start adding to the things that go alongside of God's word and we fall into legalism and we camp on minor issues but we neglect the major ones And we begin to favor man-made rules and standards, especially the ones that we're better at obeying, right? And then we look down on those who aren't uh, so inclined as we are, and we judge them. And we know that Jesus confronted the Pharisees who were meticulous about tithing and even their table spices, but they neglected the weightier provisions of the law, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness. So when I'm talking about considering Jesus, it's not just about obeying, but really conforming ourselves out of joy to Him. We've seen others who emphasize Bible knowledge or correct theology, and we really like that around here. Where else would we be without it? It is the staple. It is not our truth to bend. But if Bible knowledge and theology do not lead us to know and to worship Christ Jesus more, more fully and more completely, then, we've, then we have traded the best for the good. If our understanding of Christ doesn't lead us to love more fully and to become more like Him, and we take great pride in our knowledge and look down on those who are not as educated, then we are completely off track. If we don't see knowledge as a tool to love other people, then we have missed the point. True knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus leads us to humility and a deep desire to go get those like Christ Jesus has has come to get us. Yes? And so the second application point is for us to really consider Jesus. Jesus. Not our obedience, not our knowledge, but Christ. And lastly, verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. As I was studying, I'm encouraged to consider that boasting about Jesus is a lot more than sharing about Jesus. Boasting in the Christ who has saved me is a lot harder once you understand the definition than it is to just share your faith. You with me? 
It's not my truth to bend or apologize for. I'm boasting in this truth because I've been saved by it. I've been freed from my prison camp. This is true. I'm boasting in it, not just sharing it. I'm declaring it with confidence. I'm boasting in it. This idea of boasting means glorying in, rejoicing in, and proclaiming with enthusiasm and vigor. Church, we are of His house. We boast in Jesus. 1 Peter 2 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's us. And we need to hold fast to that. We need to have confidence in that. And we need to boast about that. Amen? It's true. It's true. Next week, we're going to continue going right on into uh, the second part of this. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about one, there's a warning attached to this. We referred to it. But also, this holding fast and having confidence in and boasting about is essential to do in community. We have to have one another if we're going to make it. So take heart, lest you just think I gave you a whole bunch to do on your own. Okay, stay tuned for part two, because you can't do that without us. Yeah? So let's do that together. Jesus, we, even as we're considering this idea of you coming to rescue a group of toddlers and how excited and profoundly we would rejoice in your arrival and being enamored with all of who you are and all that you have done for us, may that motivate us um, to hold fast to you, to take confidence in you, and boast about you, considering you. And we need one another in that, Lord. We are, as Peter says, prone to forget. And we need each other. We need to take care of one another. We need to hold these standards before one another lest we drift, lest we fall away. So thank you, Jesus, King Jesus, our brother, for coming to get us. Thank you, Father, for rescuing us in spirit, for indwelling us that we might know you and be drawn to you over and over again, and for placing us in this community of believers. And Lord, thankful for your global church, really thankful for this group of brothers and sisters that you've placed me in who call themselves Vine and Branch. This is great, thankful for this amazing group of people who who I am regularly called to follow you along with. And may we continue to do that with joy and enthusiasm going forth in the world with this great message of rescue and your supremacy for your glory, and for our joy, and for the salvation of the world, we ask you to fill us on our way. Amen.